Moncrief with Energlaze on News Talk. A recent survey by the Health Information and Quality Authority has given us a detailed review of the standard of maternity bereavement services in Ireland. Almost 900 participants took part in the survey and the aim is to bring attention to the situation for grieving parents who are experiencing a loss. But is the conversation being given enough attention or is the stigma of pregnancy loss still present? Professor Keelan Donoghue, consultant obstetrician at Cork University Hospital and the lead of the Pregnancy Loss Research Group in UCC is here to tell us more. Welcome to the studio. Hi Stephanie. Now Keelan, it seems to me uh, that there are two things here. There is the data that the research showed of these 900 um, participants, but then also the reaction to that data. I suppose let's start with the reaction to the data. Sure. And uh, thank you for the, the opportunity to talk about this really important, important area. So I've been working clinically in the area of pregnancy loss services for over 15 years as a consultant. And I'm a researcher, as you mentioned, and I've led out on implementation of bereavement standards across our maternity hospitals with the support of the HSE since 2017. So, and I was advi- an advisor to the HICWA survey um, and then was involved in putting together the, the HSE's response to that survey. And as you say, that was published uh, in mid-May. Mm-hmm. And I was really quite surprised that there was relatively little media response or, or reaction and relatively little conversation around that. And to me, that kind of fits, I suppose, with my experiences in this area as a clinician and researcher, whereby it's a really difficult area to get talked about, to get resourced, to get funded and to get prioritised in terms of either services or research. And on foot of that, um, I wrote a piece in, uh, in a newspaper and I really feel that we do a disservice to all those people who took the time to share a very detailed experience of baby loss in that survey if we don't talk about it. Yes. And I find it interesting because I talk about it all the time. I have had five miscarriages. One of them is second trimester. I think everybody sees that 12 week. I just have to get to 12 weeks and it's fine. And then Mm. there is a small cohort of us who know that it's not fine. And an even smaller cohort of us who, you know, have experienced stillbirth when we have made it the whole way through our pregnancies and then pregnancy loss after birth and caught death or whatever um, and I talk about it all the time and then I have people on Instagram say to me I am just experiencing a miscarriage now why is no one talking about it and I say well we are talking about it it's just that you don't listen until you have to listen and my, that's what I feel the issue is people don't want to hear about this until it affects them and then when it affects them there's nowhere to go except these really private conversations that are happening exactly. on the internet in private chat rooms Exactly because sadly, pregnancy loss is a relatively common uh, thing that can happen in pregnancy, as you mentioned, from very early to late pregnancy. And Is the statistic one in four? Uh, certainly in terms of early pregnancy loss, yes, yes absolutely. Yeah. Um, as you say, once you get into the second trimester of pregnancy, it's still not rare or uncommon. You're mm-hmm. still at one in 100, sometimes maybe one in 50. Babies who die later in pregnancy, probably around one in 200 pregnancies. But looking at all the other things we talk about a lot in pregnancy, that's still relatively common. And if we don't uh, talk about it and we don't give, um, I suppose, amplify some of those voices, my feeling is we add further to the isolation that people who have this experience then feel. And it feeds into that um 
notion that this that there's still a stigma about this about this area it feeds into that lack of awareness whereby we talk about pregnancy loss sometimes in a very fatalistic way that you know it can't be prevented and that really does a disservice to to people who experience it and as you say for Do you many mean that it can't be prevented and there that does a disservice because it was sort of inevitable or out of con- your control like because mm-hmm. i would experience the sentence you know it it can't be prevented as like okay well at least i did nothing wrong sure sure um and i think that's very important for women to hear that message particularly in in well across all types of across all types of pregnancy loss i mean no no more looking at it from the bigger uh, picture of the clinicians involved in this area and from the services there are of course some pregnancy losses that can never be prevented but there are potentially some that can and if we don't talk about uh, why pregnancy loss happens and we don't talk about all the different scenarios of pregnancy loss then people don't know um and when it happens to them they're terribly unprepared um pregnancy loss is not normally part of the pregnancy story mm-hmm. and then people Certainly are hugely unprepared for the physical and emotional reality of any type of pregnancy loss particularly maybe when it happens more than once as as you mentioned particularly in scenarios of recurrent miscarriage or when a baby dies later in pregnancy people always say to us why did i never know this could happen mm-hmm. and we spend a lot of time talking about things that might happen and we generally don't bring this up. We don't really have a culture that educates people about pregnancy loss either through our work in the research group. We've done quite a bit of work nationally to see what is the level of kind of public or societal awareness or understanding of pregnancy loss. And even when you look at miscarriage or you look at stillbirth across the population, there is relatively poor understanding of how common miscarriage might be. You said one in four, you know, about a third of people think miscarriage happens in less than 5% of pregnancies. Um, If you look at stillbirth or later pregnancy loss, There's a lot of uh, lack of understanding about maybe what would be the risk factors, um, why it happens, can it be potentially prevented, what it means for future pregnancy and even how common these kind of baby deaths are. Do you want to tell us about some of those risk factors (laughs) now or? Well, I suppose it's very to that would encompass a lot of uh, a yeah. lot of uh, a lot of different types of pregnancy loss. But I suppose one of the purposes about talking about pregnancy loss, be it be it early or late, is to make women aware that yes, it can happen. What are the things that it could empower them to know about what's right for them during pregnancy? Mm-hmm. What the potential maybe modifiable behavioural risk factors? Our group's doing quite quite a lot of uh, of work on that, and what kind of things they should be advocating for for themselves in terms of the service services they should receive, what they should have access to during their pregnancy, when they should know to speak up and go to their healthcare provider. Mm -hmm. So that's what a lot of that kind of having the conversation is about. I think that there's there's a couple of things there. One is this cultural silence we have around not telling people you're pregnant until 12 weeks. Don't say it to anyone because, Mm. you know, it's still very early. I think that the... I think that you should tell people, anyone that you would tell you had a miscarriage to, you should tell mm. that you're pregnant because you're mm. going to need that support. Mm. And because many, uh, am I correct in saying most miscarriages happen in early pregnancy before the 12 weeks? Absolutely, yes. And that's, so, the, that's the common time. Sometimes maybe under 10 weeks or so. Yes. Yeah. And so if we were to tell people we were pregnant as soon as we knew, then that conversation around miscarriage yeah. would be much more demystified. Um, and then... Another thing that I find, and this I, I'm guilty of this myself, is only speaking about miscarriage once there has been a happy ending. 
And that I think, you know, and that's because as a public figure, I didn't have the emotional fortitude to tell my story when I was still in the middle of it. And I reserve the right to keep my private life private when I need to. Absolutely. Um, But that I think that makes people think that, oh, yes, you might have a miscarriage, but you'll always end up having a baby, which isn't the case. And sometimes and I think it's really important that people like yourself talk about this openly. But I think sometimes the stories that we hear are the miracles. Yes. Where, where there is, you know, there's an absolutely amazing story of, of recurrent miscarriage and a happy outcome. Or sometimes the really, really terrible stories and the so-called scandals. And yes. That's what we hear. And we don't always hear the the more routine experience. Moderate routine experience. Or the people for whom there isn't a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Or who are really struggling currently to to get to that outcome of having a a successful pregnancy. And we don't represent that because we don't really normalise the conversation. And for me, again, coming back to, you know, my role as a a clinician, as a researcher and as somebody responsible for trying to improve services nationally, if we don't talk about this, then it just doesn't feature as a priority. So it's not a priority then in, you know, hospital management when it comes to prioritising who gets the staffing or who gets the nice space. It doesn't get prioritisation in funding nationally uh, in terms of new policy or new services. And it doesn't get prioritisation in research. There are very few places that I can apply to, Mm -hmm. to get research funding, to look at improvements in care and services. So for me, looking at the big picture in the position that I'm fortunate enough to be in, I can really see how it all kind of meshes together, even, you know, the small starting with the small conversations, what that means then in terms of our services and our policy. Is it a case, though, that so some people think, oh, a pregnancy loss is very rare, 5%, so we don't need to think about that. Mm Or if in a clinical setting, is it more like, well, pregnancy loss is so common that we don't need to resource that because if we resourced every bereavement, that would literally be all of our funding. Yeah, I think there's a bit of both in that, actually. Um, I certainly find within, you know, within within maternity services, it can be seen as quite a, a niche special interest to have to be working in the area of pregnancy loss. At the same time, it's seen as something that's relatively common, sure, so everybody can do it well. And that actually isn't the case. You know, there is some degree of uh, specialisation required to be able to deliver high quality bereavement care. And the fact that something is common, like miscarriage, we know very clearly now that the, the HICWA survey didn't deal with pregnancy loss um, on in that first trimester. But we've my research group have recently led on a big care experience piece around recurrent miscarriage nationally and exactly the same themes come up within that. So we would very much argue that even though early miscarriage might be common, that there is still a basic standardised level of quality care that should be given to each woman who has one miscarriage. And that could potentially make the difference for her in terms of how she recovers from that and how she goes on into her next pregnancy. Um, as you know, everybody's everybody's experience is quite different and unique to them. But there's no doubt that for many people, any type of pregnancy loss can have a long lasting impact and good care really impacts upon that. Yes, like we have a text message here from someone 
When I had my miscarriage after three years of trying to conceive, my doctor asked if I wanted a stomach bug on the sixth cert. I said no because that would make it seem so much worse. It would make it seem like the pregnancy didn't happen. Now going through IVF, people are shocked when I talk about it. Some days I can't talk about it, but some days I feel I need to talk about it. And it's so hard to live in a hidden world of early pregnancy or infertility. And and that's that's a really powerful statement. And that came back to my slight frustration about not really talking about that survey uh, because the people who generally experience pregnancy loss, they generally do want that pregnancy acknowledged mm-hmm. and they want um, something, I suppose, something maybe positive to come from that. And we say on the maternity services side that we're going to learn from surveys like this and we're going to learn from research. But are we really going to learn if that's the if, thing? Is it just a survey for If we don't talk about it and if, I mean, if we don't argue for actual um, for actual change. And I don't mean going back to the small numbers of dedicated staff across the maternity hospitals that I have worked well with over the last number of years to really try and improve bereavement care services. I mean, at a much bigger picture level. Mm-hmm. So it's not all just about a very small number of people delivering specialised services. And there does seem to be, and maybe I'm making a fleeting statement here, but there's something about potentially our Catholic ethos in this country that we haven't shed yet that is this sort of like you know it's powerless leave it to God say nothing Mm. miracles happen stay positive I see and and even when you remove um, the religion from it on social media a lot of oh I'm pregnant after loss I'm pregnant again after a pregnancy loss and I'm manifesting a healthy baby and I'm having a vision board and that feeling of like, oh, I need to stay positive about this, mm-hmm. even though my history has been one of pregnancy loss. Just this narrative that like you can either negatively or positively impact your pregnancy by your thoughts. And I mean, if that was the case, we never would have had yeah. to repeal the eighth. Do you know if you could cause a miscarriage Indeed. by just thinking about it? Yeah, I do think and I, I really felt putting it all together and, and looking particularly the, over those couple of days at the response to the survey, that that was just really, for me, emblematic of where pregnancy loss is in our society. And that then feeds down into, as I said, our healthcare resources and, and, and our funding and, and things like the Um, whether it's seen as a priority for research. And we need to kind of get away from that and remove that silence and stigma that's definitely there for for men and women who experience pregnancy loss. And having conversations like this is one way to do that. What does it look like for you if if this survey were taken in, in the way that you want, that you wish that it was? Sure. So I suppose looking at some of the common themes that came out of the survey, um, there were quite there were a number of people who had, uh, you know, had a good care experience across our maternity services. But one in four people said they'd had a poor care experience. And that's disappointing because I really I acknowledge and I understand the impact of what a poor care experience has for people then and potentially into their next pregnancy. And some of the common themes were around communication, maybe healthcare professionals not so joined up in their communication uh, with women and men, um, about dedicated spaces within our sometimes quite elderly um, maternity facilities, people not getting information and not getting information when they went home from the hospital after pregnancy loss and feeling lost without that information. And for me, that again speaks to 
not talking about this and that there aren't, we're surrounded by information. Mm -hmm. But there isn't necessarily high quality information for people who might experience pregnancy loss. Now, that is work that we are taking forward within the Women and Infants Programme who have been driving the implementation of bereavement standards and, and continue to do so. But I think people um, not uh, not being prepared for, as I said before, the kind of physical or, or psychological reality of um, a, a pregnancy loss very much speaks very much speaks to that. So for me, where this needs to go is moving beyond the okay, we are continuing to work to implement the bereavement standards across the nineteen hospitals so that everybody gets access to standardized high quality bereavement care at all points from the diagnosis of a concern in the pregnancy to what happens after they go home from the hospital. I mean, that's a given. That work is ongoing. But much bigger than that, there are things that we could do as a society and within our healthcare services to um, to improve this area, which are not possible for me to do without that greater uh, resourcing and policy piece. So if we look at miscarriage care, for example, we don't have a real model of care for how we manage um, the aftermath of miscarriage. We would now define recurrent miscarriage as two consecutive miscarriages, which means a slightly larger number of women would be defined as having that diagnosis. We do have now national guidelines that very much set out what is the expectation of care. We don't have a model of care for how miscarriage is, is managed, what support a woman should get after one pregnancy loss after two or how that should be investigated. So not every woman has the same access around the country to maybe a specialised clinic um, or to the correct level of supportive care or to clinics, say, for later pregnancy loss when they're pregnant again. And there are very you know specific needs that people have when they're pregnant again after a stillbirth or a neonatal death. We should in this country in my personal and professional opinion, be looking at having a strategy to look at reducing perinatal mortality, our, our numbers of perinatal deaths. And by that, I mean babies who die largely over 24 weeks, either uh, babies who are stillbirths or who die soon after in the days after they're born. We could have a strategy to look at reducing those rates. Those rates are rising slightly in Ireland and we're not comparable anymore to many other high income countries who, unlike us, have over the last five or 10 years set out an ambition to reduce baby loss and to reduce the preventable baby deaths. And there are, we are one of the countries that records all our perinatal deaths. We have a very high quality audit, so we have really good data, but we're not taking the recommendations from those reports to look at bundles of care for women who lose a pregnancy in the later stages or to look at uh, maybe uh, better inquiry processes into why babies die so that the learning from every baby's death goes towards improving care and ultimately further reducing baby deaths. So coming away just from the service delivery in the hospitals, I would very much more be advocating for that bigger societal and government piece. I think yes. it's fair to say. Here, here, and uh, and for those conversations to be ongoing. Professor Keenan O'Donoghue, consultant obstetrician at Cork University Hospital, thank you so much. Uh, we have a couple of texts and WhatsApps on the miscarriage piece. On this topic of miscarriage, can I just call out the wonderful support and resource that is NISIG, the National Infertility Support and Information Group, offer around the whole life cycle and options around fertility and the wider outcomes, both tragedy and celebration. That's from Brian. And if there are many... Um, bereavement support services that you can find. There's also corkmiscarriage.com and pregnancyandinfantloss.ie. 
Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. with Anna Glaze on News Talk.